verse 36 of chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's play, pray together, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at this more. Lord Jesus, we, um, we need to learn how to uh, love you more. Uh, we do love you, and maybe some of us uh, don't, but we want to find out or understand more about that. Uh, would you help each of us today to learn what it means to love and to know you, and so to live for you? Amen. So um, it's really nice to have some, some visitors and guests with us today, and I really... Uh, good thing for you to know is where I want to start today um, is, is what we say we're all about as a church. And um, if this slide is going to work or not. Yeah, here we are. We say we're all about helping people love Jesus more and more. That, that's our purpose, if you like, for us as, as a church. And we make no apologies in that in speaking about loving Jesus. Even if at first sound that sounds a little bit weird to, to most people, uh, we, this is essential to us because we believe that um, and experience that in loving Jesus, we know fullness of life as the God who designed us intends it to be found. And so for us, the spiritual journey, the journey of life is a journey growing in, in our love for Jesus. And that's why more and more is really significant here. Because all of us can grow at greater depths to our love for Jesus and fuller practice of our living out love for him in our lives. That's something we can all grow in. And yet we also know that often life can give us a right kicking and our love 
for God, for Jesus, can grow cold, can grow dim, can grow distant over time. We start to ask questions like, why would I love a God who allowed that abuse to happen? Why would I love a God who hasn't given me the partner that I so desire? Why, why would I love a God who's allowed me to have this so serious illness or whatever situation it is you find yourself in? Now, listen, if we're going to love God in this world, we've got to find reasons outside of our present circumstances to inspire and excite and help us to love him um, uh, more and more. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, Luke introduced us to an example of great faith in the centurion. And today he introduces us to a great example of great love through this sinful woman at a dinner party. Uh, and there's two main characters in, in this scene. You've got, and they represent two very different attitudes and approaches to, to yourself and to life and to others and to Jesus, particularly in relation to how they love. And as we meet these two characters, there's this beautiful story that Luke kind of weaves together. What we're going to do is we run through the story. We're going to run through it a few times. And we're going to experience it each time from the perspective of a different character. If you've, I mean, this quite often happens in films. If you've seen the Knives Out films, that's how it works. You kind of get to know the story, and then you see it a second and a third time from the perspective of a different character. And each time you get new angles or new perspectives or new depths to it. And that's what we need to see today is as we uncover new depths of love to grasp hold of. And as we do that, and as we, as, we, as we see the story from the perspective of these characters, we'll find ourselves reflected in this story. And there's an opportunity for all of us, wherever we come from, whoever we are, to be transformed by this love. And then to be transformed by it so we learn how to love better. By seeing where great love comes from and seeing what it looks like in practice. Here's, here's the first character we're going to run through it with. Simon the Pharisee who loves little. He's, he's the first character we meet. And the most significant thing about him, it's really clear four times in the first four verses of this story, he is one of the Pharisees. That's the big thing for him. And we've been getting to know the Pharisees fairly well through Luke's story, haven't we? And, and we've got to remember, these are the best guys around town. They're the most successful, the most respected. They've got life together. They're doing the right thing. These Pharisees are, are, are influential and powerful. But what Luke's been showing us is he's been showing us a slightly new perspective on them. Jesus has been peeling back the layers. And underneath this really impressive looking exterior of these Pharisees, what Luke's been showing us through Jesus is that it's not all as good as it seems. And, and so as we've read the story of Jesus in Luke, the crowds have been flocking to Jesus. We've seen that, haven't we, lots? And they've been coming in wonder and amazement. And some of them have been coming in faith. Uh, at his teaching and his healings and his acts of power. And, and that's all going on. And these religious influencers and these religious guys are also coming to the same scenes and to the same events, but they're coming with a very different attitude. Consistently, we see they're all very grumpy and judgy and, and they're, they're watching him ever more closely with an eagle eye to see what's going to happen next, if they're going to catch him out. They're saying, who does he think he is? He, he offers forgiveness of sins to the paralyzed man. Who, who is this guy? Have you seen the unclean company he keeps? He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and, and eating and drinking with them. Have you seen what he's up to? And he totally ignores all of the religious rules. No, no he's abusing the Sabbath day. He's not fasting. And his teaching, he, he speaks about woes to the rich and woes to those who people think well of, who have a good reputation. He talks about loving your enemies, turning the other cheek, don't judge other people. 
And do you know what? I even heard that he helped a Roman centurion. And he said he had great faith. A centurion who's the enemy of the people of God and the enemy of God. This guy is going and helping people like that. And so on the surface, right, these, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, they look, they look good. They look very civil. They look like they're open and interested in Jesus. Or in their hearts, they're rejecting him. And, and it kind of culminates last week, uh, we saw with Johnny. In, 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 if you just look at verse 30, just above what Anthony read of, of chapter 7. This is where we got to with these Pharisees. The Pharisees and the experts in the law have rejected God's purpose for themselves. They have rejected God's purpose themselves. They've rejected God himself as they're rejecting Jesus. This is who this guy Simon is. He looks good. He looks respectable. You'd think he's a good guy, but all is not as it appears. And we don't know why, but Simon invites Jesus for dinner at his home. Maybe he's intrigued by Jesus. Maybe he wants to catch him out. Maybe he just likes being around the popular people. You know, it's good for his image. I don't know. Either way, he invites him and Jesus comes to his house for dinner. And it's helpful for us just to picture the scene. This is like the social scene of the day. This is where people hang out. It's like going to the pub or or the restaurant. This isn't a private thing. It's a relatively public thing. They'd be eating outdoors in kind of a a garden courtyard sort of area. And back then, they'd have a low table in the middle of the courtyard and these um, kind of couches and cushions scattered around it. And people would would lie on their sides and kind of lean on their side to to their table. And and those who were invited would lie next to the table with their head in towards the table and their feet kind of out towards the edge. So they'd form like a star shape kind kind of thing. And... The really significant thing is that people who weren't invited could still and did still wander in through the courtyard gate and kind of wander around and observe and watch what was going on. It was kind of, I guess it was entertaining for people to see these dinner parties. And and so you have these people milling around the outside of of the guests who are invited to this meal. That's quite significant for how the story unfolds as, as, as we work it through. Now, we don't know why Simon invited Jesus, but one thing is very clear. He did not welcome him warmly. In those days, when you invite people over, just a common courtesy would be to, to give a kiss on each cheek of the guests and then to provide a bowl of water and a towel so they could wash their feet. Remember, back in those days, people wore open sandals. It was hot. It was dusty. It was dirty. There were, there'd be animal dung and other waste in the streets and stuff. So, so the feet got a bit of a pasting. And so when, when you went to someone's house, you, you know, you'd, just, you'd wash off your feet and they'd enable you to do that. You'd also give olive oil or some incense to put on their head as a a nice fragrance for the evening. That's just basic hospitality. It's like just offering someone a cuppa and giving them a seat when they come into your home. It's It's just really basics. But Simon does none of it for Jesus. Clearly, he doesn't think too highly of him. He's not treating him with any kind of respect. It is worth noting, just quickly before we move on for us, that the quality and the warmth of our hospitality really does matter. And we can be really thankful to, to Bo and the hospitality team in this church, that as far as when we come together on a Sunday, for the work that people put in to, to put chairs out and make drinks and, and, and make it a, a welcoming and, 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 and a hospitable place for people. I want to encourage you if you're on the hospitality team. It's really easy to just let go of that and think it doesn't really matter to flake or, or, or to not really be engaged with it when you're here. Just, I want to encourage you to do a really good job of, of, of making this place a hospitable place on a Sunday. To let, let everyone know that they're, they're welcome and they're valued and, and, and they're worth something in the way that we, we look after them when they come amongst us. And we're really thankful for the way that you guys do that. 
Anyway, in, in this story, during the course of the evening, Simon doesn't welcome Jesus in, in the right way. Uh, and his attitude goes from being maybe lukewarm to, uh, at best, to completely dismissive and even hostile. You see, what happens is, is he, he sees, he notices this sinful woman. This woman who has the audacity to come into my home with her immoral, uh, questionable morality and her undignified display of affection. And she just invites herself in and she comes up to Jesus and, 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 and this kind of outrageous display of, I don't know what's going on. And Simon sees this and he kind of mutters under his breath. You can see it in verse 39. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. And so in the quietness of his heart, in just a moment, Simon kills two birds with one stone. He writes off this woman with his prejudice. But he also writes off Jesus because he hasn't shared the same judgment of her as Simon has. This guy can't be a prophet. If he's not, if he's not kicking a woman like that, her away, saying, get away from me, you dirty woman, you dirty sinner, he should know that would be the good and the religious thing to do. You can just feel Simon's self-righteousness and his pride just dripping from him, can't you? But of course, on the surface, he's all sunshine and smiles. He's a Pharisee after all. He doesn't say anything out loud because that's what good, respectable people do with their sin. They don't put it on display, but they become experts at hiding in it beneath a veneer of respectability, don't they? So Simon comes across as one thing, but inside he's something completely different. He seems hospitable. He's inviting people into his home, but actually he's only really self-interested. He seems like he's, full, uh, he's loving, but actually he's full of hate. He seems like he's accepting, but actually he's full of judgment. And before you start throwing stones, we can be like that too, can't we? We hate to admit it, but there's an inner Pharisee in all of us, if we're honest with ourselves. Particularly those of us who are steeped in a middle-class culture, we have it as second nature. What you see is almost certainly not what you get. We have judgmentalism and anger and pride and hatred and our lusts and our addictions and our broken marriages and our love of money and our abusive patterns of parenting and our laziness and our apathy and our love of self and our lack of love for others. It's all there. And it all bubbles away within us, but it's behind closed doors. And on the surface, we muster the energy so everything looks good and everything looks respectable and, and we're decent people. We can spot sins in others from a mile away and we keep ours hidden, nice and safely nurtured out of sight. That is us. That is me. I hate it when I'm like that. But too often I am. Now the shame for, um, for Simon is that his dinner guest this night, Jesus, sees right into his heart. He sees right into and he knows what's going on. He doesn't just see the outside. And that's why Jesus, without Simon actually saying anything, tells this little parable in verses 31 and 32, this little story that lays bare Simon's heart. And it's a story that's so simple, and yet it cuts Simon open, and it will cut us open too, if we will allow it, like a surgeon's knife. Jesus talks about two people who owe big debts. One owes the debt 
that's the equivalent of 50 days work, 50 days wages, the other 500 days wages. It's broadly like 4,000 and 40,000 pounds. Now, obviously one is 10 times bigger than the other, but that's not the point. The point is, is that both of them know they can't pay it back. They're in over their head. And so when the debt is freely cleared by the creditor, who will love him more? Now, perhaps he's annoyed by the simplicity of the question. So I was like, well, I suppose it's the one he forgave more. Well, of course, he's, he's right. Technically, he's correct. But Simon still doesn't get it. And so this beautiful moment, verse 44. Jesus is talking to Simon. But he looks and turns his face towards this woman. And his attention is drawn towards her. Simon, do you see her? Simon, do you see what I see when I see her? He knows Simon's seen her, but he's asking Simon to see her in the way that he does. And this is both a rebuke and an invitation. At every point that Simon has failed to show kindness and love to Jesus, the woman has overflowed in abundant kindness and love. In her kisses, in her foot washing, in her anointing, they're all expressions of great love. Simon, you might think you're a 50 sinner and she's a 500 sinner, but she gets it and you don't. She cries and you don't. She washes and you don't. She perfumes and you haven't. And so it brings us to our key verse here for this, this, this Bible text today. It's verse 47. Please look at it as I read it. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. This, this little parable and, and, and this, this act, this display, uh, shows this woman's great love. And we'll return to that in a moment. But what it also does, this parable, is it exposes Simon's lack of love. Jesus is saying, the one who has a small experience of forgiveness loves Little. Simon, what does this show you about yourself? You love little because you don't think you've been forgiven of much. You don't think you need to be forgiven of much. So you have little love. I don't know how, we don't know how Simon responds. But this is a chance for him to stop and to think. I hope at this point Jesus becomes more than just a guest in his house. Or more than just someone who he can climb the social ladder from. And someone who actually transforms his heart. I hope that Simon gives up his pride and humbly throws himself on the mercy and the grace of Christ. For all of his sin, the sins that are obvious and the sins that he's kept secret. I hope too that this cuts us to the heart where we are like Simon. I hope that we no longer try to dress ourselves up with a thin veneer of respectability or modern morality or niceness or, or whatever else it is. And we humbly throw ourselves on the mercy and the grace of Christ for all of our sin, both those that are seen and those that we keep hidden. And I hope we do that knowing that um, no one who comes to Christ in that way will he turn away. No one will he turn away who comes to him like that. Now, if we, do, if we do come to him like that, then what we experience is this amazing transformation and this renewal. And that's what we get a taste of in our, in our second main character. And this is the woman who is sinful but loves greatly. 
She is held up uh, to us by Luke uh, as a beautiful example of great love. Now, this woman, if, if you've got Simon kind of here on the social spectrum, she's at the complete other end, both socially and in religious terms. Now, you might think it sounds pretty brutal to us, calling her a sinful woman. That's how she's introduced here. And it is brutal. And that's the point of it, because that is how she is known. She's, she's unnamed in this story, but she's got a reputation from everyone around. People around town know, know about her and steer well clear. She's probably a prostitute. She's certainly known for her sexual prom- promiscuity. So she isn't inviting a crowd around for dinner. And if she is, people are not coming to her house. You see, sin is not just the bad things that we do, but it's who we are, who we become. It's like an ins- infection that spreads through our whole person. This woman is a sinner, and she knows it, and everyone else knows it, and they won't let her forget it. And so immediately, she's much more relatable for some of us than Simon is. Certainly how many people around us and in our community feel. We know we're messed up. We know we're full of sin. It's obvious. It's all over our lives and all over our relationships. It's written through the story of our families and our generations. It's just, it's just there for everyone to see. We can't cover it up or deny it. We're not even sure we can ever escape it. We think we have no hope. Well, if that's you, this woman shows you there is hope. And we see that in this radically different approach that she has to Jesus from from Simon. So it's in verse 37. She learns, she hears Jesus is eating at, at Simon's house. And so she comes, even though she's not invited even though she knows that she's not the kind of person who would be welcome in someone like Simon's house, she, she can anticipate the sort of welcome she'll get in his uh, courtyard. She's not going to be received with warmth and, and kindness. But something so drastic and so amazing has got hold of her and changed her heart that she's willing to risk the disapproving look. She's willing to risk the passive-aggressive comment. She's willing to risk the tut-tuts and the shake of the head from others as she approaches Jesus. And it seems as she comes in, she sees Simon's lack of of love for Jesus, and and she wants to make up for that. She's moved by that, and so in every way that he failed, she she excels in love. She wears her heart on her sleeve, and she puts her love on display for all to see. She she stands at Jesus' feet, weeping, and she she washes his his feet with her own tears and her hair. She, She kisses his feet repeatedly and bathes his feet in expensive perfume. Well, listen, this is some real deep love going on here, right? She's kissing some random man's feet. That is, that's love, okay? That is love. She's taking some social disgrace here. The loosening of the hair to, to, um, to wipe the feet is, is just something that in that culture a woman would never do in public. There's social disgrace involved. It costs her lots. The perfume is probably the most expensive thing that she owns. Poured out on Jesus' feet in an instant is gone. This is totally lavish, quite frankly embarrassing outpouring of devotion and love. It's a disgraceful thing. And yet the sounds of her tears and the aroma of her perfume are a pleasing sound and a pleasing scent to Jesus. What has led her to such extreme action? What causes this woman to have such a different attitude to Simon? Well, that parable captures it again. Verse 41, 42. 
It undoes Simon, but it also explains to us how and why this woman has come to act like this. She knows and she has experienced being forgiven of much, so she loves much. 47, that key verse confirms it. Jesus says that her love has shown that her many sins have been forgiven. Past tense, already happened. Forgiven, here on display in the love. This is a response of loving adoration to Jesus. It's not that she comes and does this great outlandish kind of display of love, trying to butter up Jesus so that she gets forgiveness from him and gets acceptance from him. No, Jesus says she already has that acceptance, that forgiveness, and this is the overflow in the love. Now, we don't know where or how that happened for her. She might have been in the crowds. You heard Jesus proclaim good news for the poor and freedom for the prisoners. And now's the year of the Lord's favor. And she said, yeah, that's for me. She might have looked on as Jesus told the, the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. And she, she realized that he could forgive her sins too in that moment. She, she might have seen the crowds walking away from Capernaum with joy because they'd been healed of their diseases and set free from their demonic oppression. Uh, and, and, so, and, and through kind of seeing and hearing that in them, she experienced a similar freedom in her own life. She might have heard the story of the leper who was cleansed by Jesus in an instant and by faith received her own cleansing in an instant as she realized what Jesus could do. She might have even been one of the sinners who had eaten with Jesus at Levi's house and maybe had her own personal little encounter with Jesus or conversation with him that transformed her. We don't know where or when it was, but wherever and whenever it was, she had experienced great forgiveness and the love and kindness of God in and through Jesus. And it's transformed her. And by knowing who Jesus is, she's forgotten who she once was. She's a new person. And now here she is, put into action and display what great love looks like. And her tears flow freely, I guess as an expression of her brokenness, her sadness over her life of sin and her shame, but also this over her security, over the fact that she is forgiven and she is free and she is loved and she is accepted deeply. There's joy in these tears, I'm sure. And she's a total mess, and she looks a mess. And it's really embarrassing, but she doesn't really care, does she? She doesn't really care. She probably gave up worrying about what others thought a long time ago, I expect. But now she just wants to show, she wants all to see the great love that she has for the one who has so loved her. See, this is what happens in a person when, when, when your debt of sin is cleared out of the free grace and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus. When your slate has been wiped clean and everything in your past is, is done away with and forgiven and you're set free to new life. And you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's just freely given to you. That's what happens. This amazing woman shows us that love Love of this type, if it is genuine and if it is real, it has to be expressed. It has to become obvious. It has to be seen. It's got to be put into action and on display. You've got to see it and taste it and feel it. Listen, I, I, I am inspired by seeing and tasting the passion and the love of others for Jesus. It just helps me. It, it helps me and it inspires me. It helps me sometimes when we're singing here on a Sunday and I, and I look around and I see people who are singing like they mean it when we worship Jesus. 
like it actually means something to them. And these are real and true words. It helps me when I hear or see people speak with zeal about Jesus when they have the opportunity to witness to someone. And they share about Jesus like it's like he's real to them and like it means something. It really helps me and sustains me when I draw alongside those who suffer and yet they still look to Jesus. And yet they still love him even though it's hard for them right now. I see and I feel and even taste the love of Jesus in others, in some of you. I wonder if people around me can taste and can see and can feel my love for Jesus in my life. There's one more really significant thing that that Jesus does for for this woman. That's in verse 48. He publicly declares her sins are forgiven. And he goes on in verse 50 to say that, her faith, has faith, uh, her faith has saved her and she can go in peace. She's already forgiven and she knows it. She's come with this, this display of love as an expression of it. But this is a kindness of Jesus that publicly he declares so that everyone else will know it too. Publicly he, he honors and upholds her. Publicly he restores and renews her. Maybe everyone else in town will now forget who she was and see who she now is. And so the guests wonder and marvel, who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? For they know that's the work of God alone. Every one of us needs to hear that voice too. The voice of God spoken from outside of us in Jesus. That we are forgiven and we are set free. And that leads us finally to our third character. And our third take on the story, Jesus, the Savior, who forgives freely. See, this isn't ultimately a story about this woman's great love for Jesus, but it's firstly and foremost his great love for her that transformed her. And it's also his love for us. And that's why we need to finish looking at it with Jesus in view. I want you to take note as we close, of how Jesus relates to both Simon and to this woman. And we see, therefore, how he relates to us. See, he accepts Simon's invite to dinner. He accepts that invite, and he's given Simon an opportunity to change. Given what Jesus knows of the Pharisees and their attitude and their approach to him, he could cut them adrift and leave them hanging. He could just say, no, I'm not going to spend any time with these people anymore. But he doesn't. You might think, given what Jesus knows of you, he could cut you adrift and leave you hanging. But he won't. He comes to spend time with Simon to seek and to save the lost, even those who don't realize that they're lost yet. And in love, he calls them out and he gives them a chance to experience that same transforming forgiveness that that sinful woman experienced. Even where this morning you're convicted by your secret sins, know that Jesus is a friend of sinners. He doesn't stay far off, but he comes close. And he comes close in love. And he comes to call you out, and he comes to call you back to him. Back into a deeper and newer forgiveness. Back into deeper faith and love. Back into following him more closely and life in him.
He doesn't stay far off. But also, secondly, see how he didn't push the woman away, but he accepts her love and her devotion. He is pleased by it. By it. He honors her and he commends her. Jesus pushes none away from his table who come to him in humble and hopeful faith. So don't keep yourself away. She, along with all of us who have come to put our faith in him, are the joy and are the prize for which he came to suffer and die before rising from the dead. He delights in us. She poured herself out for him at a dinner party, but he would go on to pour himself out for her and for us on a cross where he would die in a way that was far more shameful, far more embarrassing, far more painful and far more costly. Jesus can forgive her sins. He can forgive your sins freely and lavishly at a word. Cost you nothing. Cost him deeply. It's not cheap. It's very expensive, but it's free to you. That is a gift of grace that transforms our hearts. Have you seen it? Do you know? Are you right now experiencing that great love? That great love with which he has loved you, with which he has given himself for you. He loved us in that way first so that we, in response, may love. May love God. May love Jesus. May love others also. And we may put that love into action. That it may be seen, that it may be demonstrated, that it may be tasted by others around us. People might be able to see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. Let's pray and then we'll sing in response. (coughs) Jesus, your love is so great, is so deep and so wide and so high and it is beyond our comprehension. It is beyond our experience and our knowledge. This morning, by your spirit, would you just take us a little deeper into a knowledge and experience and appreciation of your love that we may be more like the woman and less like the Pharisee. That our love for you in response may be a little bit crazy, a little bit embarrassing, a little bit over the top, but pleasing in your sight and encouragement to others around us. Lord, we love you. Help us in our lack of love for you to love you more, we pray. Amen.